All right, so <clears throat> um, if you have your Bible, don't use it. No, I'm just kidding you. Uh, we're going to talk about a story this morning uh, of Elijah. So if you want to go on to, uh, to uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, you can do that. We'll be there in a minute. Um, it's just something really special and personal I want to share about this morning. Um, it's been awesome. Last night I just had such a great time worshiping and being blessed by what God was doing here. Uh, last night I showed a video about what some of the things that we're doing in Chile. I didn't clarify it very much, but um, all that we're doing here in the States as far as receiving offerings and all that, that goes to these youth events. And God has greatly, greatly, greatly blessed us. We feel like we're at a moment of the appointed time of God, the appointed time. Uh, just reminiscing a little bit, it's always good to have fathers, spiritual fathers that have lived through different movements of God. And uh, because they hear their stories and what they lived through is always such an encouragement and it, it sows hope into the hearts of so many but I was saved, probably Ben as well, during the Jesus movement. Um, historically, back in the 1960s and 70s. And you may not know much about that, but it was in a time of intense turmoil in the United States. Where there was the Vietnam War, the protest, and college students were being killed on campuses by soldiers because of their protesting against the war and there was in, in incredible racial tensions and um, and then uh, all that move of the counterculture with the hippie movement and drugs and free sex and and all of this it was a mess absolute mess and amidst of that assassination of a president etc and yet the God of suddenly appeared. And this is what I want to make a point of just, just before I even get into the message. We're at a moment now, I really believe, of an appointed time of God in this nation. And so what you listen to on the news and all that stuff can really overshadow you. And what overshadows you influences the way you perceive things. So you, it's very easy to get depressed and discouraged and no hope by what we listen to in a society and on the news. But if we have our eyes and heart fixed on him and sense what he is about to do, I'm telling you, something incredible is about to happen in this nation. Thank you for your encouragement. I'm really excited by your response. Because anybody can preach and prophesy about a valley a, a, a full of dry bones. And they can even describe how dry they are. But not everybody can prophesy that in the valley of dry bones, God is about to raise up an army. And that's about what is about to happen here. 
So I want to encourage you. I really, really want to encourage you in that Jesus movement. I just finished. It was started by several different events, but <clears throat> all the movements of God historically are never, they never began in masses. They began with just a few, just a few that are seeking him and wholeheartedly abandoned to him. And it started in California with a young man whose name is Lonnie Frisbee. You can read about him or hear about him on YouTube called The Kippy Preacher. <clears throat> but it was such a, such a powerful move of God that they estimate within five years, three million young people were saved in the United States. That's not too bad, no? And we were one of those. Yeah, yeah. And so what I'm saying is it's about to happen again. It's about to happen again. That's the nice thing about being a prophet, and I leave. If it doesn't happen, then you'll never see me again. <laughs> but it's going to happen because it doesn't depend on my word. So I want to talk to you about uh, just something, like I said, very personal. And I'm just going to skip over a bunch of verses this morning, but I want to focus on one in particular. But about a year ago at this time, we were opening um, or inaugurating one of our churches in a city called Los Angeles, Chile. And uh, we're staying, Gloria and I were staying with a pastor and his, and his family and their home. And one of the nights that we were there, I just couldn't sleep. This doesn't happen to me very often. And what I describe doesn't happen very often either. But that night in particular, because I couldn't sleep, I just got up and I started walking the floor, and then I just felt like, well, I just start reading the Bible. That doesn't always, that's not always my response, but it was that night. And uh, so I just, you know, said, God, what do you want me to read? And I felt like you wanted me to read the story of Elijah. And I thought, oh, man, I've read that so many times. I used to tell, that was my kid's favorite story. I don't know how many times I've told it. So, okay, I'll read. First Kings 17, 18, and 19. And I began to read that story. And when I finished, I closed the Bible, and I went to bed, slept. <clears throat> and then the next morning, my question was, what are you trying to tell me through that story, Father? And... I just heard him talk about the promises that he gave to Elijah and the nation of, of Israel. And it's a story about how God fulfilled his promises. So in my prayer journey, I began to, to just sense God, to write down so many of the promises that God has given me and promises yet that have to be fulfilled. And as I wrote those down, there are two or three things that just really called my attention to the story of Elijah. And these are three things in particular I want to talk about this morning. So the first one of the things that the Lord spoke to me about was that Elijah was a man who restored 
the broken down altar. And that was something that God was calling to do, was to rebuild the altar that had been abandoned in Israel. And one of the curious things that's happening today in South America, as well as in the United States, it seems to be a movement of God that's rebuilding his altar of worship and of prayer. Yes. And in my own life, I, when I was writing these things down in my journal, I remembered those years that I studied in seminary. Some of them call it cemetery, but I studied in a cemetery, no, a seminary. And it was really great. Uh, it was a, a great place to grow in my context. But there was a hunger in my life in those days that it was just more than just uh, going to meetings. It was this hunger to, to seek after God, to pray. And, and uh, I remember I just established a time that every night before I go to bed, and this was my rule, that I would go out and pray. And I'd pray outside because I like to walk and I like to, to talk out loud. And so um, near our campus, there was a golf course. And so I would go out on the golf course at night and make one round. And that usually was about an hour. And those were the days, Penn, you probably remember this, we had tape recorders for tapes. And they were huge. I mean, they took size D batteries, about four of them. So to give you kind of a hernia to carry that thing around, you know, with you. And I remember singing these songs and just almost shouting and singing because there wasn't anybody around except some cows in a field nearby. And many of the nights I would get there and make that round, it seemed like nothing happened at all. But there are other nights, it just, we just connected in the presence and, and, and the, the revelation of the Father. Let me up, and I remember there were nights where I would finish studying in seminary like 12 o'clock at night when the library closed, go back and take my books back to the dorm, and then I'd walk over to this golf course, and sometimes I even ran. It was like I couldn't wait to get there. And I feel like in this time of my life, again, it's been a struggle, but God is calling me back to a time of building the altar of seeking him, not for anything in particular, but just what I heard someone say, and I love this expression, accompanying him in the mornings, being with him. And not very long ago, someone gave me this Bible, uh, the Passion Version, and I remember reading one morning in Psalm 5, verse 3, this verse that just stood out and it's that it's like interprets so much my heart and the verse says hmm, you will hear my voice at every daybreak and every sunrise you will hear my voice and then it says and I will put every piece of my life on the altar until the fire is lit in my heart 
I read that, I said, yes. This is my vow. This is my vow. Every morning at sunrise, I'm kind of an early riser anyhow. And in Santiago, I have this favorite place where I pray in my home, in the living room. I have a nice recliner chair. And it sits in front of this big window. And I can see, I don't always get up before daybreak. Uh, sometimes I do. Most of the time I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom. Then I go back to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Just to make you feel better that way. <laughs> and uh, I, But when I do get up, and I get the chance to get up early because that's before all the traffic is going in Santiago. I sit there a lot of times with worship music, other times not, but always with a cup of coffee because without coffee, no man shall see the Lord. <laughs> How many of you like that verse? Yeah, all right. <clears throat> but it's just those times of intimacy with him. So one of the things I want to talk about today, when I was praying over this passage, was what I found in, in Exodus chapter 33. So if you want to put that verse up there, please. We'll read from verse 7 about the importance of building up or having this, this place of intimacy with the Father. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went into the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. Okay, yeah, we'll continue. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when, and he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Now, I, I've just never seen this before, but probably you've seen pictures of the tabernacle of God that, that was uh, in the midst of the camp of Israel. There's always these you know, drawings of this tabernacle and the tents all in order around uh, the tabernacle of God. But I never realized, and I've read this verse so many times, that there was another tent. And this was called the tent of meeting. And it was set up, it was not the tabernacle, but it was another smaller tent that was set up outside the camp of the Israelites. And it was a place, the, the, the word means meeting or it means reunion or it means the place of encounter with God. It was a place that was open to anyone and everyone that wanted to go in. That was the amazing part about it. And yet, 
in spite of it being open to anyone and everyone, it appears that it was only Moses that would leave the humdrum and all the busyness and all the distractions of the camp and all of his duties and responsibilities. And he would go outside the camp and he would descend into this place that was called the tent of meeting. And when he would go in there, and not before, but when he would go in, then the glory of God would fall upon this place. Yeah. I said that the other night. It's one thing when there's an anointing. When there's an anointing, the worship leaders or whoever's preaching or teaching, you just, it's like a turbo engine. You just kind of kicks in. And when it does, you just realize this ain't me. This is not me doing this. This is God just took over. That's anointing. But when glory comes, no one can worship, lead worship. No one can teach or preach. It's just God just came. How many of you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that when Moses went into this place, the glory of God would descend. And all the Israelites would stand at the door of their tents and they would look and say, oh, wow. There it is again. Now, I've talked almost every night unintentionally about a friend of mine that I met many years ago. But I'm going to go back to him again. Um, Bob, I hope you like this, okay? Bob Bradbury. One of the trips I went with him to Paraguay, we got into a Baptist school. And there were about 1,500 students. And so they were very leery about letting Bob share. They already had a ministry with children. So one of the teachers convinced the, the principal that it would be good to have Bob. So they allowed us to be in a, in a chapel that was about half the size of this, this, uh, this room here. And so we had about 100 first graders. That was the level of trust that the uh, principal gave us. But again, when Bob began to, to share, it was like something I'd never seen before because <laughs> you have to imagine this. The presence of God came. There was no invitation. But these little kids all began to be broken and cry. And I, I still got this engraved in my mind where there's you see these little two or three little kids young boys they were just hugging each other around their shoulders and crying and kneeling down in a bench in front of this and the altar was full of little boys and girls just being touched by god at one moment there was such an emotion in the place i got concerned i thought this is totally it's going to be chaos i mean it's out of control and God said, no, it's not. He said, I'm revealing myself as their father. And just to understand the context of Paraguay, Napoleon raised up two other emperors in his time. One was in Mexico, and the other was in Paraguay. With his whole mentality, they were to conquer their continents, just like Napoleon. 
And the one in Paraguay declared a war against Argentina. At one point, they were winning until they provoked a war with Brazil. And then Bolivia got involved. Paraguay is a very tiny nation. And now the stubbornness and the pride and the foolishness of the emperor, he sent every man and boy to the battle front. And when it was all over, finally by surrender, they took a census and found that there was only 3,000 males left in Paraguay. So the next ruler declared that all the men had to start a family, had to repopulate the nation. However, the curious thing about Paraguay is that in any other country in South America or Spain, when you ask, how's your son? You say it this way, ¿Cómo está tu hijo? How's your hijo or your hija, your daughter? In Paraguay, you don't ask for your son or daughter. You ask for cria, which means offspring. How's your offspring? So when God came and began to touch these first graders, he was revealing himself to them as their real father. And when it was pretty much dying down the meeting after an hour, an hour and a half, we went back to the, the place where we were staying and suddenly the teacher that invited Bob and I to be present came and says, Bob, Bob, you just gotta come, you gotta come, you gotta come. And since he spoke English, I stayed, which is a mistake. Because when Bob walked into this prayer chapel, still full of first graders, Bob says, explain it to me later, and there it was, Roger. And I said, what? And he says, literally there was a cloud that was covering that place inside the chapel. It was the glory of God. And simultaneously, over the entire school, the glory of God fell. Even a young child who was deaf in one ear was healed without anyone praying for him. This is the magnitude, and we can't imagine this because I don't know if we've ever been in anything like that. But when Moses would enter that place, the glory of God would come. And when he came, as I said, the Israelites would stand outside their tent doors and they would marvel at it. But no one went in. No one went in. And this is the invitation I feel like God is calling us to. To come to be in intimacy with him, to rebuild our altar. I know it's something that he's speaking to my heart. So that we not only just read about it and observe it and applaud it when we hear it about it happening, but that it would really, really be our experience. Amen? Does anybody understand what I'm saying? Yeah. The second thing that God spoke to me about. Mm, 
was that Moses, Moses, Elijah also was a man of great risks. He took enormous risks for God. That's called faith. And this is something else that I'm experiencing, not just as a pastor, but as a son. You see, all of us, without exception here today, have been called to do what the disciples did. Just let me clarify this too. Super important. When Jesus came, he came as the second Adam, but he came not only to show us what he could do, because it would be very easy for us to say, yeah, he healed, he cast out demons because he was the son of God. Yay, God. But we forget that Jesus laid aside his divinity. He humbled himself and became obedient. He became dependent on this intimacy with the Father as we can do it. So he came to show us not only what he could do, but what we can do. Does anybody follow me? That means, as he says in John 14, don't be stressed out about this. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. I'm leaving, but I'm sending another. And the same things that I have done, you will do also, and even greater things. So what did he do? And what did he call his disciples to do? Very simple. There were instructions given to the 12 disciples and instructions given to the 72 and later the 120. And they were the same things. It was to preach and announce the kingdom of God has come. To preach about the kingdom. And I, I said last night, preaching is not three points and singing a song at the end. It's telling about what Jesus has done in your life and the power of the kingdom has now come and invaded here. Yeah, that was the message of John the Baptist and Jesus and the disciples. And it's our message today that Jesus didn't come just to cover my sins and forgive me and someday I can go to heaven. That's half of the gospel. The other half is that heaven has come to me now and that my calling is to announce and demonstrate the kingdom is here. Yeah. That is so incredible. And to do that, we can study about it all our lives. I come from a movement, a denomination called the Vineyard, and we probably got, in some people's estimation, the best doctrine in the world on the kingdom of God. And yet it's not just knowing about it. It's doing it. It's taking risk. It's stepping out and doing what God has called us to do. Yeah. Amen. And it's so easy in my context to be a pastor and what my responsibilities are this is taking care of the people and all that. But I forget my calling as a son. And the calling as a son is to preach the gospel. It's to make disciples. It's to heal the sick. It's to cast out the demons. And that requires risk. I'm making as a practice of mine not always faithfulness either, but at least once a week, I leave my office. 
on about three blocks away, four blocks away, there's a little shopping center. And I go into that place. And I'm just looking to love people and to pray for people. Because it'd be very easy for me to say, I don't have time, I'm a pastor. But my calling, first of all, as a son, is to do what Jesus did. Hello? Hello? And if I don't get to the mall or to the shopping center, there's a hospital, only two blocks, a block and a half from my house. And you have to understand me, I'm shy. I'm an, kind of an introvert, so it's not easy for me to go into a waiting room and sit down and do like everybody else, get out my cell phone. And when I do that, I'm looking, and you always find people that are afflicted. They're worried, they're tense. So I go up and I ask a very easy question. It's not, you don't have to be a prophet saying, God is showing me that you're here because somebody you know is in a hospital. I don't say that, you know. <laughs> I just go up and say, you know, I, I, you have a family member here or a friend? Oh, yeah. What happened? And I just ask these questions. You just have to be naturally supernatural. And oh, oh, wow, they've been operated on. Well, how are they coming? How's it coming? And they'll tell you all this stuff. And they always end up asking you the same question. What are you doing here? And I always say, I'm here because I believe God sent me to pray with you. Can I pray with you? I'm very, 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 very solemn. I can't remember any instance in my case where people said no. And it's in that opportunity that when we pray, God begins to give words of knowledge and there's all kinds of divine encounters that happens. And sometimes I just love to go walking down the hallways in a hospital, watching for a door that's open and there's no doctors or nurses, nobody in the room. And I just pop in. My advantage is I have a face of a gringo. And so I just ask them, oh, how are you doing today? I remember the last lady I talked to, she says, not very good. She says, I have stage four cancer, and I'm here from a different city, so I don't get any, very many visitors. And she goes through all her medical stuff, and, and she probably thought I was a doctor. And she's telling me all of her stuff. And then finally she says, Why are, uh, who are you and what are you doing here? And I said, well, I came here to pray for you. Because I believe God wants you to sense his love. And I believe God can heal you. Can I pray for you? Well, yes. And we've seen so many miracles happen. And we celebrate more than miracles. We celebrate the risks of just doing it. Doing it, doing it. When something that gets the passion going in your heart, it's doing what Jesus called us to do. Hello. I remember when my boys were eh, smaller, teenagers. We used to go to this lake in the south of Chile. It's on the base of a volcano. It was a gorgeous place. And um, there were these, uh, there's this huge beach in a Beside the beach, there were these kind of like rock cliffs. And one of the summers, my, my boys decided they wanted to start 
jumping off the cliffs at different levels, four feet, eight, 16, 20, whatever. And all the ones I hear him cry out saying, Dad, come on, come on, Dad, don't sit over there, come on. So being a man, you had to man up. <laughs> so I walked over there and got in the water with him and, come on, Dad, you could do it. Jump, come on, let's see, let's see how high you can go. And so, you know, I went up. I don't know how high it was, 20, 20 feet, maybe more than that. All I know is that when I looked down, they looked awful small. <laughs> and I could hear him say, come on, Dad, jump. And I'm standing there going, here I come. I can feel my legs. And I don't know how long I was there kind of vacillating like, oh, man, why did I get in this mess? And finally, you know, you just kind of close your eyes and you leap. And once you leap, there's not a plan B. It's not like, wait, 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 you know. But, you know, most of us in the church, when we talk about doing what Jesus did, announcing and demonstrating the kingdom of God. It's like we, we give all these courses on what it's like to climb up on the cliff and the view down there is wonderful, but nobody jumps. And we can even take the new people and say, come on, come on up here. I, I want to teach you all about this. This is what we're supposed to do. And, and the emotion is like, You mean that's all there is? Yeah. Do you feel the breeze and the, the emotion, the rush? You can even go like that. It's like, whew. But nobody jumps. God has called us to jump. And that was the amazing thing about Elijah. Talk about risks. Calling 450 prophets, false prophets of one religion, another 400. All for a showdown on Mount Carmel to show who the real God is. He's a God that calls us to risks. So I'm going to ask you, what are you doing? What are you doing? The founder of our denomination, John Wimber, when he was converted, he used to be a professional rock, not rock, in those days. How many of you older ones like me remember the Righteous Brothers? Three of us, okay. All right. He was one of the musicians and composers. The song said, like many, he was on drugs and alcohol, separated from his wife. And in the same day in different cities, he and his wife got saved. And then began this, to go to a Bible study in home. And the leader of the Bible study saw so much energy in John. John says, what do I do? What do I do? And he says, read the four Gospels. So John read them in, in a week and he came back and he said, what do I do now? This is amazing what I'm seeing. And the leader says, read it again. So he read about four weeks like that, just reading the four Gospels. And John would come back, so he says, it's incredible what I'm seeing Jesus do. And, and he says, what do I do now? And the leader says, find a church where they're doing 
what you're reading about it. And that was the frustrating part because John went to I don't know how many churches. And one morning he was so upset and he's complaining. And his wife says, don't talk to me about it. Go talk to the pastor. So he walks up to the pastor and he says, I have a question. He says, when are we going to start doing this stuff? And the pastor says, what stuff? So what do I read about in, in the New Testament, the stuff that Jesus, when are we going to start doing? He says, what do you mean, what? And John says, well, I thought maybe we could divide the city up into sectors and some of us go over there and some of us go over there and do what Jesus did. Heal the sick and cast out the demons. And the pastor says, and John says, when are we going to do it? And the pastor says, well, <clears throat> we believe it, but we just don't do it. And John said, you mean I left drugs for that? You see, God's called us all to do this. And the only thing that qualifies you is your yes, your willingness to jump off. Are you ready? I'm ready. And the last thing with this I'm closing is this. Elijah, the call of not only rebuilding the altar, but it was a man of incredible risks. And the third thing is that captured my attention was that when God responded by the fire, an incredible, incredible, incredible sign. And all the people said, his God is our God. It's a true God. And Elijah asked, how long will we continue wavering like that? If God is your God, then follow him. And then he goes up the very peak of Mount Carmel. And he begins to pray. He's praying for rain now. The word that God gave him about the rain coming. And he begins to pray. And his position of prayer is what really captured my attention. I've read it, I don't know how many times, and I can't do this because if I kneel down like him, I'd probably get a cramp in my legs. But as he knelt, he put his head between his legs. It was like a fetal position. Something that was to be birthed, and that's correct, but the last time I looked at that, the Lord said, what is happening here is that Elijah is elevating his heart above his head. And that's where God wants to take us. To a place where head just doesn't fit. Because he's a God that exceeds all understanding. All power. All imagination. Amen? Amen. How many of you want to say, God, take me where I've never, ever gone before? Don't limit him by your experiences. Allow him to take you where you've never, ever gone before. Amen. Amen. So we're just going to pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Mm. So if you'd like to, just close your eyes. I'm just going to ask.
presence. Oh, the Father just to manifest himself even more. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Hmm. I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to manifest himself on you. That's the unique thing about the Father is he never does the same thing to all people. There's so many different ways of manifesting his presence and his love. But I'm going to ask him to come, and some of you are going to begin to sense in a very tangible way the presence of the Father. We're just going to wait, and we're going to call those that sense that to just receive all that he wants for you this morning. So, Father, thank you so much for coming, for seeking us even before we sought you this morning. Mm. Mm. Thank you. I just see so clearly that this this church is just such a lighthouse, not only in this city, but this this, this region around here. <clears throat> this is the Old Testament where God says, "Do not despise the small beginnings." You've been very patient and you've waited waited, waited. You've allowed God to build. Your focus has not been on multitudes, but on the one, on the ones. And you're at a time of increase, not only numerically here, but even greater impact throughout this region. I know you're already extending into other nations, but I'm just seeing this pen this is the appointed time of God. This is the appointed time of God. You've chosen well, you've chosen well to stay and to form. And I was just a multitude. So I just hear the Lord say, like he would say in Isaiah, extend the cords of your tents. Extend them, extend them. Open the curtains, which means extend the vision even more. Because the Father is limitless in what He wants to do here. It's going to require much more resources. Human resources, financial resources, logistical resources. But they are going to be kids coming in from all kinds of nations here. To sit, sit in the presence of the Father. This place is like the tent of meeting that Moses pitched outside the camp of religion, outside the camp of busyness, and that all that would enter in there would know the Father's in the house. Yeah. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <clears throat> Just all of you young people that are sitting here and even adults, and you don't have to look up. 
I don't want you to look up. I just want you to extend your hand because you know God is calling you to the nations. Would you raise your hand right now? I've never done this before. Just raise your hand. There's so many, so many. This is highly unusual. I don't know how many churches I visit in the United States and you hardly see any young people. This is an exceptional place. So and all of you that have raised your hands, I just want you to stand. You're not, I'm not privileging one over another right now. I just want to recognize. And if I could, I would step on all of your feet. I love to do this when I see missions on a person. Because your feet are going to come in and out of this nation, carrying so much compassion, so much of the power and the presence of God on you. So Father, I bless, I bless these seeds right now that are growing <clears throat> and I thank you Lord thank you, thank you, thank you because your eye is on these even if it's just like one because out of this one or these few, there are going to be multitudes that are coming to you thank you Father, thank you, thank you thank you, yeah now, how many of you as well are just sensing that God is calling you more and more into an intimate place with Him it's not something you have to, it's you want to. It's your desire to do that. And of course, we fail, but God's mercy is so great, so great. And it's not all about time. It's not about it's only the discipline. It's about being with Him. And He's calling us more and more and more into that like tent of meeting. And we hear Him say, I just want to be with you. Moses said, God, thank you for your favor on my life. Thank you for the grace that you've given. You told me that I found grace in your eyes. Thank you because you've told me that I found favor in your eyes. But Father, if you don't go with us, I don't want to leave this place. I want you to, to be with you. I'd rather be in the desert than have the promises without you. I'd rather be in the desert with you than have all the promises without you. I just want you, Father. I want you. How many of you are sensing that we just stand as well? Just stand, stand, stand. Father, I just want that. God is calling this church. I know you're a church of risk-taking from your pastor on down. But just on a daily basis, it's not so much, am I supposed to be in Asia or in Africa? It's right now. Is this the person that God wants me to marry or not? It's right now. It's to be a disciple now. It's to be a son or daughter now who is learning now how to declare the kingdom has come to make disciples, to heal the sick, to cast out the demons, to do the Father's business now, right now, right now. All right. Just extend your hands before you. Now God just wants to take your heart much higher than your head. Much, much higher. Beyond your imagination. Beyond what you've ever asked or thought. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit that moves in us. Yeah. If that's you, you just want to come and stand before the Lord today. As I said yesterday, just get out from behind your your safe place of the seat and just come and say, here am I, Father. Here am I. Here am I. Here am I. Here am I. So many of you got promises all over you. Prophetic words all over you. 
place to cultivate that is in the tent of meeting. It's taking the risks and it's posturing your heart to go way above your head. Come on, come on, come on. We're just gonna wait one more moment and then we're gonna worship more than even pray for you. It's just saying, here am I, God. Here am I, here am I. Wow. I'm so impacted. I sing so many young people and young at heart. This is really, 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 really a seedbed. Incredible. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you. Okay. Holy Spirit, come now. Come now. Come now. Take our offering, Father. Take our offering. This invitation to leave the camp, to be in intimacy with you, to lay every piece of my life on the altar until your fire is lit. Come on, God. Come on. Light your fire today. Light your fire. Thank you, Father, for the young Elijahs that are here.